Good morning, everyone. Oh, let's try it again. Good morning, everyone. Yay, there you are. Oh, I'm so glad you guys are all here. Everybody have a good morning. Good. I'm glad. Well, we are excited to be here together. We have been worshiping for the last few hours, had a really sweet time, and God's just going to carry that over with us now. So we're excited about that, and we're excited that you're here. So if you guys would stand with me, let's welcome the Holy Spirit in, and then we will begin our worship time. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for being here. Lord, we just want to set everything aside right now to dedicate our time with you and to just put our attention on you and let everything else from the week just kind of be sat off in the corner so we can focus on you. So, Lord, you feel free to move among us, and we thank you for being here with us, Jesus. We love you. In your name we pray, and God's people said, amen. Let's start worship. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. 
shine in the shadows when every battle nothing can stand against the power of our god almighty fortress you go before us nothing can stand against the power good to come before him. Just kind of wait on him a little bit after a busy week. You get to just come in and just say, Lord, I'm just going to lay it all down here and this is yours. So we're going to do that now. We're just going to take everything that's happened in this time of the week and we're just going to lay it before him. So would you guys join me in doing that? Lord Jesus, you are almighty God. You are Alpha and Omega. You are a counselor. You're our defender. You're our healer. You're our provider. You're our Abba, our Father, our Daddy. And we could come to you with anything, Lord, and we're so grateful that you give that to us. And that you wait for us to come to you. So, Lord, we're coming to you now, and we're just laying our week before you, whether it was busy, whether it was a hard week, whether it was a really good week, whatever it is, Lord, we're just going to lay that down and give it to you, and we're going to sit in your presence, and we're going to wait for your spirit to just come in and start speaking to our hearts. Lord, I pray that we will be able to focus on you and your goodness. I pray that as we move through this service, Jesus, that we will recognize your voice because we hear you and we can smell your fragrance because we are waiting for you. So, Lord, you just take this time and do with it what you want. We love you. We ask you to be with us the rest of the service and the day. And, Lord, we ask your presence to be thick in this place because we need you. We want you here. So we're grateful, Father. We give you ourselves this morning. As hard as it is to let that go sometimes. 
Lord, we love you, and we are so grateful to sit in your presence. So we thank you for it, Jesus. We thank you for being here. We thank you for what you're going to do. We're excited about it, and we're anticipating it. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you guys turn and greet one another? Say good morning. Welcome everybody here. Tell them you're glad that they're here. to be in God's house today. It's his house, it's his day, it's his world, and here we are. Get that last handshake in, hug, and you can have a seat. I just got some news. It's somebody's birthday. She just led us in worship. Lori Prophet birthday today. Woo! Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Lori. Happy birthday to you. Woo. That second verse, how old? No, we better not get here. We don't go there. Glad you were born, Lori. You're a blessing to us. You've got green bulletins, I think, today. Inside your green bulletins are a white connection card. Pull those out. If our uh, usher guys and gals would uh, walk around, if you didn't get one of those bulletins, got a lot of good information, they'll walk around and uh, give you one. And on that connection card, if you're a guest with us today for the first time, would love to have some contact information. Or if you're a regular and that contact information has changed, throw that in there. On the back, prayer request, love to be praying with you about uh, anything and everything. And beyond that, if you want to write an encouraging note to one of your pastors or give us an idea or you have a gripe, whatever you want to put on that card, do it, and you can drop it in the offering plate in just a few minutes. This is a fifth Sunday. Four months of the year have five Sundays, and every fifth Sunday we have our kids in, so they're all back there. Are they eating? No. Good to have them, though, whatever they're doing back there. Love you, kiddos. And uh, in honor of our fifth Sunday, every uh, uh, month that that happens, we also have communion. That gives our families with kids a chance to have communion together. So we'll be enjoying that sacrament in just a bit. Did you guys happen to see these uh, red and green boxes out in the lobby? There's like a mountain of them. Okay, Kelly and I have our first two. 
We need to get a uh, hundred of these filled up. Many of you are familiar with Samaritan's Purse, uh, their Christmas project. But just in case it's new to you, we've got a little video that will tell you what that's all about. Ooh, need some Operation sound. Christmas Child Shoebox is unique and special. And that's why we think every gift that's packed should also be unique and special. When you choose to fill a shoebox with fun, high-quality items, you're sharing love with a child in a very tangible way. And you're making it possible for them to hear about the greatest gift of all, the gospel message of Jesus Christ. So whether you're packing one shoebox as a family or throwing a party to pack hundreds of shoeboxes as a group, here are some practical tips to make sure each gift is packed with love and care. A great shoebox starts with a high-quality wow item, like a soccer ball and a pump, a stuffed animal or a doll. It's that one special toy that will really make their eyes light up. Then surround that wow item with other quality toys that a child would love. Items like musical instruments, finger puppets, toy cars, all make a shoebox gift special. Next is school supplies and personal care items. Many children don't have access to combs, toothbrushes, or school supplies like pencils or crayons and notebooks. So while we like to talk about making the box fun, adding some of these items can make a shoebox even more practical. While anonymous gifts are nice, knowing who sent them can make a gift extra special. That's why every child loves to receive a personal message or a photo from you. They really do. Your personal note tells that child that they are important to you and to God. They will cherish your photos and letters for years. And to wrap it all up, pray over your shoebox. Every shoebox gift is a unique gospel opportunity. So pray that your shoebox arrives in the hands of the right child. And pray that God will use your shoebox gift and the gospel message to help that child become a fully devoted disciple of Jesus Christ. Every single shoebox is important because every single child is important. So I hope you find these tips useful. Please do all you can to build unique and special shoebox gifts because together we are using those gifts to reach the unreached and to expand the kingdom of God. Now it's time to get packing because it's never too early. That's good stuff, isn't it? And you'll notice as you pick up your boxes, the personal items are already in there. So that's a bonus. If you have any questions, where's Cindy Rumsey? She in the sanctuary right there. Stand up, Cindy. Just in case somebody doesn't know who you are. Questions right there. I'd say a hundred for a church this size is a that's a that's a tall order. But I think we're gonna knock that wall of boxes down out there. So pick those up this Sunday, next Sunday. Probably three Sundays we have, and then they're due back. Instructions are in the boxes or out there with those, so uh, let's do it. That's a beautiful thing. Scott Meyer, our board vice chair, is coming, and, and he's sporting a nice haircut. Let's give it up for Scott Meyer, who's going to give us an update on the pastoral search process. Can you tell where I got the idea for the haircut? Well, it's, it's a pleasure to be able to address you again. Good morning, Woodland Park Church of the Nazarene. And, <laughs> yeah, give yourselves a round of applause for showing up and for staying for this. 
Um, our board has been meeting with regards to a pastoral search. Did everybody know about that? We've been trying to do a, a decent job of communicating that. And since the last time we had that update with you, uh, quite a bit has happened. We had a meeting this past Tuesday. And in that meeting, we all sat down with the expectation we were going to have a conversation with a candidate that we had <clears throat> shown some interest in and had made arrangements for that conversation. And that conversation did not take place. Uh, the reason it didn't take place is because after prayer and consideration, the candidate that we had given that invitation to to start the conversation felt some hesitation and just felt like this was not the right time and place for that candidate and the family. And we kind of took that, I, I, don't, I don't know that we took it very hard, but, but it, it was unexpected, shall we say. Uh, that wasn't what we had gone there for. Um, and our district superintendent, Dr. Askren, of course, he came loaded for bear and said, look, there was equal interest in two of the candidates that he had presented. He had presented three resumes to us a month and a half ago, and the board showed a pretty good interest in two of them, very different from one another, but very, very qualified from what we can see on the resumes and in our discussion. So Dr. Astrin got on the phone that night while we were in session. He left the room and left a message with the second candidate uh, and they have gotten together, and we have another conversation that will start with the with I don't want to call him the second candidate because in the process um, with the Nazarene Church, what we will what we will do is start a conversation with one candidate, and we will take that con conversation all the way through a conclusion, without having any consideration of any other well qualified candidate. So once the decision is made, either on the candidate side or on our side, that we're going to go a different direction, then we can consider a second candidate. Does that make sense? We just want, what we don't want this to be is a popularity contest between two people. We don't want to be judging between two, but we want to be looking at the, the qualifications of each candidate solely by themselves, standalone. That's what we're trying to do. So we will have a conversation with another candidate who is equally qualifi qualified in our, in our estimation uh, for this position on the 14th of November. So it took a, took a bit both on our side to try and get seven people all in the same, in the same room at the same time with, with a candidate, but that will happen on the 14th of November and I would just like to continue to ask for your continued prayer this is an important thing we don't see our first uh, conversation as a failure because this was God stirring that candidate's heart and just saying not me not now and so we're, 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 we believe that we are fully in, in, the, in the will of God in this whole process. 
and we covet your prayers for wisdom and discernment in that endeavor. And we, again, thank you very much. But things are rolling. All right? Thank you, Scott. And we've been praying for clarity, and sometimes that clarity happens on this end, and sometimes that clarity happens on that end. So uh, we'll continue to pray for God's leading. One more note before we receive the morning tithes and offerings. You might notice in that uh, bulletin this morning we've got a uh, Colorado District gathering down in the springs this evening. Kelly and I are going down. would love to have uh, any of you that would like to uh, join us at Colorado Springs First Church of the Nazarene at 6 o'clock. We'll be meeting in the parking lot at 5 if you want to ride along with us for a uh, gathering with some of the other churches in this area of the district. And it should be a good time of worship, prayer, and hearing God's word from our good district superintendent, Dr. Uh, Ashburn. So note that. We're going to receive our morning tithes and offerings. going to invite the ushers to come and wait on us. Isn't God good? Took uh, my dog for a walk this morning, looked up at that uh, blue Colorado sky and the beautiful mountains you guys live in. I thought of a psalm. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. It really does. And everything that we give, whether it's our money or our material possessions or our time in service to others, is just a grateful response to the gift of life that God has given us. So we give them thanks today. God bless you as you give.
yeah, you do. You guys are full of it this morning. That's wonderful. <laughs> From
be being praised. You know what heaven's going to be like? I'm excited to think about it. And the worship that we're going to have up there is going to be unlike anything we can imagine here. Even in our most best memory of worship, it'll be amazing. So we are going to do our new song that we did last week, I Surrender. I don't know if anybody listened to it through the week, but the more that we listened to it, Danielle and I were talking about it, that that time and that the lyrics of this song just ministered to us so much, and it just pulled us in, convicted us, made us think deeper and more. So we're going to continue to learn that with you guys today, but just really focus on what those lyrics are about and and what God's calling us to, and what he may be speaking to your heart.
seated. Heaven. Lori talked about heaven and what a wonderful, glorious place that is. And heaven is real, my friends. And the best news of all is that Jesus Christ himself provided everything that we need to go to heaven, to be reconciled to God to be righteous and enjoy eternity together with each other and with God in heaven. But we need to receive him. He's provided that for us, but we need to turn away from our sinful ways and turn to Jesus in order to gain that eternal life. And my prayer is that each and every one of you have made that decision. And if not, maybe today might be the day of your salvation. We're going to enjoy the sacrament of communion as a church family. I'm going to invite Cyril and Allison to come on up and be prepared to serve us. 1 Corinthians says, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks... He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup. And he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread, and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man or woman ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on themselves. Let's pray and offer ourselves to God before we take communion. Father, we thank you so much for what you have provided for us. Lord, we are unworthy, we are not righteous outside of our relationship with you. We need you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for us. 
so that we can be righteous, so that we can enjoy eternity in heaven with you. And Lord, I thank you for inviting us to your table. I thank you for desiring a relationship with us. But Lord, you want us to turn away from our sin and to turn toward you. Father, if there's anything within us, Lord, that is not pleasing to you, would you please show us? Would you please reveal that to us? Father, we want to surrender that to you. Father, if there is sin in our lives, we ask that you forgive us. We ask that you help us to turn away from that. We ask that you will cleanse us from that. And we invite you to come into our lives, to come into our hearts, to take control, Father. We want you to take control. And Jesus, help us to be righteous before God. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. I'm going to ask Cyril and Allison to go ahead and get the communion to move over to the, to the, a little bit over to the sides there. I invite you to stand and to just come forward to take the cup and take it back to your seats and we're going to eat, eat and drink together. So come forward and get your communion elements. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread 
and he broke it. And he says, this is my body, which is broken for you and you and you and you because I love you. I want to spend eternity with you. Let's take it and eat it and be thankful. Jesus also spilled his blood on the cross so that we could be made righteous again. Let's take this cup and drink it and be thankful. Father, we do truly thank you for your sacrifice for each one of us. That kind of love is so hard for us to comprehend. But we thank you, Jesus, for living out that love, that we could see it, that we could experience it, that we can read about that in your word. And Father, we pray that you will help each one of us to be a testimony of your holy love. Father, I thank you so much for each one that is gathered here today. I thank you for this opportunity to come together, Lord, as a church family and to worship you together. I just thank you so much for bringing us through this week, Lord. I thank you, Father, that there was not a moment that you were not with us, that you were not helping us, that you were not filling us with your love, and that you were not directing us into the, into the right path. Father, I thank you. And Lord, I want to lift up anyone that is hurting today. I just pray for them, Lord. You know them. You know their pain. You know what they're going through. I just pray, Father, that you will fill them with your love today. And Father, just give them encouragement and help them along the way. I pray, Father, for those areas in our world that are hurting, that are at war people and children that are suffering, Jesus. I lift them up to you. I pray, Jesus, that you will be at work in their homes, in their communities, in their schools, in their hospitals, Lord. Please be at work, Father. And Lord, as we fill up these boxes with toys and with school supplies and toothbrushes and whatever else, Lord, we pray that you will bless and anoint those supplies. And as they go to other countries, Lord, we pray that you'll fill those children with joy as they open up those boxes and see that they are cared for and that you love them. And Father, I pray for anyone here that just might not be too sure about you. They might be searching, Lord, wondering if you are real and if they, that you really love them. I pray, Jesus, that you will speak to their hearts today. And I pray, Jesus, that you will move them toward a relationship with you. Pour out your spirit on us, we pray, Father. Bring about revival, Lord. We want to know you. We want to know you deeply, Lord. Help us, Father. I just thank you so much for your faithfulness, Lord. And I pray for anyone here who has loved ones, family, children, who may not be following you. I pray, Jesus, that you will be at work in their lives, that you will draw them close to you, and that they will know your love and your power. 
I pray, Jesus, that none of our family members will be lost, but they will all be saved. And Father, I thank you so much for Pastor Scott, who's going to bring us the message that you have laid on his heart. I thank you so much for the gift that he is, he and his beautiful family, that they are to us. Thank you, Lord, for the gift that this church is to them. I just pray, Father, that you will anoint him today to speak your word with power and with conviction. Open our eyes and our hearts and our ears to the message that you have for each one of us today. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Testing, there we go. How are we doing today? Good? Good to hear. I am excited to be here, um, here, literally here, um, sharing today's word today. And I told Pastor Ben not to announce that I was going to be speaking because no one was going to come, but I'm glad to hear that none of you guys got the announcement. So that's good news. Um, today, we will be in Romans 5, so go ahead and flip there in your Bibles or turn there on your Bible apps. Uh, we will be going through it verse by verse and, and diving into that word of Paul's letter to the Romans. Before we do that, I want to take a look at some of these terms. Um, Paul's a very smart dude, and, and, and he puts a lot of big words together. I just want to make sure we are on the same page with, with some terms here, um, ones that you've probably heard before, but I just want to make sure we're, we're, we're tracking together here. First off, justification. This is declared righteousness, to being acquitted for your sins. Um, grace. This is one that seems very simple and obvious, but it is unmerited favor. This is one that we tend to stumble over a lot because too often... We want to achieve. We want to be good enough. We want to do it on our own power. And that comes in conflicting with grace because grace is unmerited. You can't do enough. You can't be enough for the grace of God. And I'm thankful for that. Amen. Glory. Praise and honor. Um, Paul actually talks about glory in an interesting light that we're going to get into after a little bit. He talks about being able to share glory with God, which is just an, an amazing thought, a mind-blowing thing that we're going to get into later. So stay tuned for that. Righteousness, right standing with God. And then finally, reconciliation, to restore peaceful relations. This is usually in, in regards to a relationship, whether it's a friendship or or romantic relationship, but we will be looking at the restore, restoration of, of peaceful relations between God and man today in this scripture. So let's go ahead and dive in. Verse 1, therefore, since we have been justified, there's, there's one of the words already, that since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Greek word peace here comes from a root word that means to join, something that has been rejoined that was at once together, broken apart, then rejoined again. 
through Jesus Christ, that estrangement with God has been rejoined. We're connected with him once again, and we have peace. Uh, I want to take a look, uh, backtrack just a, a few chapters here and just take a look at what comes out of Romans 3, 24 through 25. It says, Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Now, that's a word I didn't put on the, on the glossary. I probably should have. That's not a word we use every day, propitiation. I'm going to say that tonight. Everyone use that as your vocab word, please, this week. It means to turn away wrath, right? Wrath is God's natural response to sin. He is a holy God. He can do nothing but have wrath for what is unholy, what is sinful, what is not like him. But propitiation is to turn that wrath away. The interesting thing about this word is that it actually has pagan roots. It comes from a time when all believed in ancient gods and what would happen with their, their livelihood and, what, and, and, and blame it on what an angry God would do to them. So my, my crops aren't getting water. The gods must be angry, right? My, my son has a disease. The gods must be angry. And so they had to find ways of turning away the wrath of these very peevish gods that were often angered. But I'm thankful that our God is not easily angered. He is slow to anger. And yet still, we took, what happens with this propitiation is that God, Jesus took on the full force of God's wrath. And because of that, we now have peace, an ongoing peace, not just a peace for, for the, the interim time until we screw it up again and we've got to offer up sacrifices again. But this is an ongoing peace being restored and back together. You know, when we take the temperature of our faith, a lot of times what can let us know that there's an issue or not is if we feel like we have peace with God. Where do we stand in relation to God? Well, do I have peace with him? And one of the things that can inhibit that peace is that we are obviously, that can obviously happen is ongoing sin, sin that we're in the midst of, sin that we haven't repented of, sin that we choose to continue to go down the path that says, my choices my desires, not what God has for us. That can obviously wreck our peace with God. But there's another way that we can find this lack of peace with God is that is if we're listening to the wrong voice. Because sometimes we've, we've repented of our sin. We've turned away from what it was, and we just have this gnawing voice on us saying, you're not good enough. You remember that time you sinned? Do you remember this? Do you remember that? And it weakens us and weakens us. And the voice, it's the voice of the enemy trying to rob us of our peace. So make sure, guys, that you are listening to the right voice in your lives because it needs to be the voice of grace saying, you did good. You turned back. You repented. You turned to Jesus. You have your eyes fixed on him, that's the way you need to keep walking. Don't get 
torn down by the, the voice of the enemy who's going to rob you of your peace. Here's another verse that confirms that. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us and will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Not a bit, not a portion, but all of it. And we have to choose to believe it. The enemy will continue to come and try to rob us of our peace with God. But we have to believe in this cleansing of righteousness. The problem with ongoing sin, however, and not going into repentance and turning towards God, heck, if you're not walking in the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that can be a miserable place to live. And it can actually be one way that you choose to pray for someone else who's in the midst of sin. Lord, make them miserable. Make them fall to their knees. Make them turn towards you because there's nowhere else to look. Maybe we have people like that in our lives that we need to be praying for. King David wrote about it. After sinning and committing adultery with Bathsheba, he talked about all of this going through a period of time where he said in Psalm 32, I believe we have it, yes, the hand of the Lord was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. He literally can compares the conviction of God to heat stroke, to, to it stealing your vitality. I remember, I remember heat from, from growing up in Texas and doing, doing two-a-days in August, kill me, and uh, what it felt like at the end of the day after, after practice. And it wasn't just the workout. It was the heat of that summer day, being sapped of that, that feeling of just, I'm a jellyfish. I need to fall down. I, I got nothing left. That's what David was saying. This, his conviction of God literally stole his vitality. But what did that lead him to? He confessed. That peace was restored. He was rejoined in his relationship with God. Okay, let's take a look at verse 2. I know, we're going real slow through this, but we'll get there. Verse 2, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Paul is talking about the benefits of the cross here. What is it we get that comes from out of this amazing act of sacrifice. He says, gained access by faith into his grace. Access literally means privilege of approach, right? So you, access is getting um, connection to someone maybe higher ranking than you and, and, and having more benefits because of the access that you have, right? We have access into the grace and favor of God. And I don't know where you guys are at, but if you're in the midst of a hard season, and we're going to talk about that, but if you're in the midst of a hard season, sometimes pain and loneliness can really feel like a prison. And, 
and you feel like you don't have access to anything. Let this be a reminder that we have the same access of anyone else in this faith that has chosen to walk the path of righteousness. Anyone has this access that can give their life over. Privilege of the church. Also, it says, also we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. One day we will actually share in this glory of God, which is crazy. There is a time when Christ returns that we will literally share in his glory. It says it here in Colossians 3, 4, to confirm when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Paul says, we're going to go bonkers for this. We're going to rejoice. And we're not doing it now. It's okay. I kind of wanted to get the wave started, but uh, we won't do that today. Um, the, f- the fact of the matter is, it's so easy to put it aside in our minds because we don't get that concept. We don't understand what that feels like. We, don't, we can't get there yet because we don't, that's not what life is like for us right now, right? But the early believers, the first century Christians and the biblical authors were enraptured by this idea. It took their entire perspective. It was all that they could think and dream about. Because look, if you think about what they were dealing with at the time, it's probably nothing like the troubles that we have today. It's very easy to be temporal and just think about what is the day-to-day or maybe what's just that thing down the line, like the next vacation we're going to have or whatever. But this helps us get our focus on what is eternal. What is, that's why we say fix our eyes on Jesus. Because his way is the eternal route. Let's take a look at the verses 3 through 5. Paul goes on to talk about this. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. What? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We can actually rejoice in our sufferings. Let's take a look at how. First off, hardship doesn't necessarily make good character. That's not always the formula that works. Everyone knows someone who's who's older that has gone through life not giving their experiences over to God, and they're hard, and they're They just don't, they just haven't given that over. It doesn't necessarily give good character, but it will prove good character. A lot of people go through life and what comes out on the other end is just bitterness and hardness. But we have a different way of looking at hardship. Instead of bitter, we can become better. 
It can shape us into the image of God's Son. That is amazing. Most of you guys probably know the story of Job. And Job understood hardship. He has a statement of faith here in Job 23.10 that goes, He knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I will come out as gold. That is a statement of faith right there. Recognizing, throw anything you got at me, Lord, because I'm going to come out on the other side stronger, better, more resolute, more dedicated in my faith. I will become like gold. Suffering produces perseverance, produces character, which produces hope. The world suffers and they're hopeless. But we suffer and we can get hope? It's crazy. It's weird. But honestly, at this point, we shouldn't be that thrown off by this kind of a idea because we are living in the upside-down kingdom of God on earth, going against what it is he, the world has to say. Upside-down kingdom of God. Things like last shall be first, the first shall be last. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. All of these things exist in God's upside-down kingdom. There's so much hope in this statement here. We are given an eternal reward for our trials and tribulations. 2 Corinthians 5.1 says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. That's the same kind of thing that Job is saying. Throw anything at me. Take, take everything. Take my life. Take my home. I got one. <laughs> I'll be good. I got one that's eternal. That's the same kind of statement of faith same kind of perspective of hope that we should be tuning into. Let's get back into uh, Romans 5, verse 6. You see, it is just the right time. When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Paul is a master of using contrast all the time. He's using things that contrast to themselves that create a point, that create um, ideas. So here he is saying, Christ, the perfect son of God, dies for the ungodly, dies for us. And he will go on to share different titles that basically are just putting us down, obviously, with our sin and who we are. Look, let's look at verse 7. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. Here's an interesting thought. God didn't see any worth in us. He didn't see any worthiness that led him to do what he did. He loved us, but he didn't see any worth in us. It was his goodness that moved 
Jesus to the cross that said yes in the Garden of Gethsemane to, to drink the, the cup of wrath of God. But he died for us in our worst condition. When we were unworthy, when we did not have any worth, that's when he died for us. Do you see the contrast here? But see, the, see that that makes it all the more beautiful of his sacrifice and powerful. Verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We always want to find worth in everything, right? Anything that we give our time or money to, is it, is it a worthy cause? Or, or is it worth going out for? Um, aren't you guys glad that God didn't wait around for us to become worthy to die for us? I'm glad. Verse 9. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Here's one way to think about it. What did he do for us when we were absolutely worthless? He died for us. How much more will he care and love for us now that we are being transformed into his children? That's crazy. We are joint heirs with Christ. We didn't do anything to deserve that, but that's how he sees us. He sees Jesus in us. I, uh, when I was researching this part, I just immediately started thinking of my boys. And I'm enjoying being a new-ish father and, um, and just seeing love on them. Anytime I see them, I'm not going to see them any other way, no matter what they do. And I wonder if it's a little bit like that, that instead of just seeing love on, on people, he sees Jesus on them. He sees his son that is encapsulated into our hearts when we say yes to him. But that love is there because he sees Jesus on us. Verse 10, Paul repeats it here. For if while we were God's enemies, there's another word for us. God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Who saves their enemies, really? Once again, upside down kingdom of God. If you're my enemy, you deserve to die. That's how the world treats their enemies. But God goes a different route. He saves his enemies. Verse 11. Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. There's another vocab word. So here, we break into a new passage uh, in the chapter of Romans 5. And, and, and here, Paul's going to use his contrast one more time uh, and, and really contrast the life of Adam to what Jesus Christ did. So that's a big um, kind of basically title setting the scene there for um, these next few verses, part of this same passage. So let's take a look at verse 12. 
Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. Paul literally interrupts himself here. He's, I, I like to think he's just getting like real excited about what he's having to say. He's like, I'll just start a new sentence right here, right in the middle. Um, but the fact of the matter is, we have all sinned in Adam. His failure is our failure. It's arrogant to think that we would have done anything other than what Adam would have done in the same position. And so we would have all sinned. We would have all fallen short. Let's read verse 13 and 14. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as Adam did, who is a pattern of the one to come. Adam was a type of the one to come, that is Jesus. But Adam brought death and Jesus brought life. Let's take a look at verse 15. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? What Paul's trying to say here is the result of the cross was not like the result of the garden. I like to think of it going in two different directions because Adam's sin, we have a we have this train coming of sin that happens. But what happens with Jesus Christ at the cross? It's, it's a new direction of grace that is essentially erasing what's happening here, but it abounds more. It goes beyond. It, it keeps going. It's not like the event of, of Adam in the, the garden. It is much more. He goes on to... To basically hammer this through. So bear with me. This is verses 16 through 21. Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man. How much more. Will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as, though, as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that, just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Um, it kind of makes you think, you sit around and think enough about it, if you do like I do, 
just stare at a wall. No. Um, I came to a metaphysical conundrum. I haven't had too many of those since my philosophy classes days, but it makes you think. It brings up the question, did God know the fall was going to happen in the garden? Yes, he knew. And that leads to the question, why did he let it happen? I don't have all the answers. And in my philosophy classes, you only make more questions than you do answers. But a partial answer might be that it happened because now we receive more blessings than if the fall had never happened at all. We're better off in Christ than if we had only followed an unfallen Adam. Something to think about. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 17. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Guys, what we are dealing with because of sin today does not compare to what's coming. It doesn't compare. We should, on the regular, we should regularly have this recognition of God's redeeming peace and his eternal glory for things to come. Be a little bit more like these biblical authors and how obsessed they were with trying to see God down the road. We, that's why we fix our eyes on Jesus, because he will show us that hope and he will give us that peace. You guys join me in prayer. Lord, we are so grateful for these truths that have been written about many years ago that are just as true today. That Paul was a was beating a drum that he was so excited about sharing that good news. May we be changed because of it, Lord. Let us fix our eyes a little bit more eternally. Worry a little less because we have more of your hope in our lives. More of your peace in our lives. We thank you for who you are and how you affect us on day to day. We pray that you be with us the rest of this time. It's in your name we pray. Good word. Do you ever go into those deep thoughts? Some of those, some of those questions that Scott brought up? Maybe. I don't know. It's good to know that God has the answers. And I don't need to have them. I just need to trust Him. And have a faith in Him. And draw near. Grateful for your word, Scott. Thanks for letting God use it in this morning. Thank you, Father. You got me. Would you stand with me?
Declaring there is hope and there is freedom. 
Fade Jesus. Fade Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we have access, privilege of approach to so much power and grace and love. There is so much power in speaking the name of Jesus because of who he is in the flesh, living, breathing, alive today. Thank you, Lord, for giving us the hope that we need, hope that can come from hardships if we give our situations and our lives to you. Thank you for your hope, but thank you for offering your peace, that ability to rejoin with you in a mighty way. I pray you cover this place with your peace. And the people in the hearts of those that need it the most today, Lord, maybe they're, maybe they're hiding it. Maybe it's not out in the open, but there's some serious hardships going on, Lord. I don't know. I pray for your peace in those situations. Give us peace in the days ahead, Lord. I especially want to lift up our pastoral search. We have hope, not for the humanness of someone to come, but of your calling, one individual, specifically with the job that resides here. We lift that up to you, Lord. Lift up these people as they go. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed. I just thought I was going to I'm still, I'm still on it. It is me.
Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. See. 